0: I'm Abby Strauss, and welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. My first job in mental health was in the late 1960s in a children's psychiatric hospital. I remember how the chief psychiatrist, uh, Dr. King, I actually remember his name, would bemoan the theories were wrong, the labels were wrong, the treatments were not that good, but the kids were still sick. Well, things have changed a lot since then. Our guest is Robert Post. Dr. Post has made many very significant contributions to psychiatry, including being the chief of the biological psychiatry branch at the National Institute of Mental Health for many years, and he's currently the head of the Bipolar Cooperative Network in Bethesda. We are pleased to have him with us. Dr. Post, thank you for joining us.
1: Uh, very pleased to join you on this topic, yes.
0: there There is a certain hesitancy or maybe a wish that kids weren't sick but unfortunately, it's not the case. They are sick. And this has been especially debated in regards to the timing and diagnosing of kids with bipolar disease. You call it the perfect storm. Uh, Dr. Post, where are we now in this entire process?
1: I think things are improving, that there is recognition of the bipolar diagnosis and the need for treatment and intervention, but there's still a very considerable controversy that to my view, we need to kind of jump over. And the controversy is that all the kids who have bipolar-like symptomatology are not necessarily going to turn out to be bipolar as adults. And some people are sort of using that ambiguity to say that that we should hold back on the evaluation and the treatment of these kids. And to me, it seems like We should describe the kids very well, find out what the different children respond to, and then revise some of the diagnostic criteria afterward once we have the 10-year follow-up studies that everybody seems to think we need. So we're making some progress. There's clearly agreement about bipolar 1 children who may and have hallucinations and delusions and are pretty clearly bipolar, but the bipolar, not otherwise specified children are still the subject of
0: considerable debate. Is there a concern that we are exposing these kids to greater future lifetime problems because we're delaying an, an appropriate diagnosis and an early enough intervention?
1: Yeah, I, I think that is the case, and we actually have data from adults who are in our network, average age 42, and when we looked at the early onset of the illness that th- that they reported in in childhood, we found that at least in the United States that about 22% said the illness started with a major depression or a mania before age 13, and when that happened, they had a more difficult course of illness throughout their whole life and a more difficult outcome at age 42 that we then assessed prospectively in our network. And then we took a look at how long the delay was to the first treatment of these individuals. And it was very, very long.
0: Years? Are we talking years?
1: 10 to 15 years before the children Or the adolescent onset folks got their first treatment. And then we did a separate statistical analysis and the delay to first treatment was an independent predictor of more severe depression, less time well, more cycling as an adult. So we have the data that of the folks who turn out to have classic bipolar illness, if we don't get after their illness well and early enough, it does have adverse prognostic implications yes
0: you you made an interesting point and you said that the uh, group that you're studying the average age was 42 that they remembered that their first problem was with a de- with a depression but what about the flip side what about a mania in in a young child in a 7 year old a 10 year old yeah
1: <laughs> we found that the delays in the children and the ones who had childhood onset uh, before age 13 that the delays were averaging 15 years or more whether or not the first treatment was mania or depression i mean the first episode was mania or depression so either way there was you know a decade and a half of difficulties for these kids and the uh, all the other difficulties they had with friends and school potentially getting into substance abuse, all of these things kind of happened without adequate help or intervention at that point. And I think we're doing a little bit better now in terms of earlier intervention, but still there's a tremendous delay often.
0: And when we see a kid, I'm just going to pick a 10-year-old who's acting up and acting out I remember there has been a, a lot of discussion whether this is just a normal irritability of a kid who is acting out versus a mania. Where do we draw that line? How do we delineate between something that's more serious versus a kid who's just being irritable?
1: Yeah, well. That's hard. I think, I think that's not even the key issue because where there's diagnostic controversy in these kids that have the irritable aggression or the bipolar, not otherwise specified diagnosis, everybody agrees that those kids are actually very impaired as well. They tend to not have friends that get kicked out of school. So we're talking about something that really is impairing their functioning. So even the controversial kids are severely impacted by the illness. So this is not just, you know, normal variation in the way kids are maturing. These are these are kids who are having tremendous difficulties in all realms. The bipolar one kids can be delusional, uh hallucinations, they can be suicidal, they can actually also be homicidal, threatening other folks in their family. We're we're talking about non-trivial symptomatology here.
0: So this isn't the average sort of my kid is just acting out, and I know people very often question when psychiatry is, um, shall we say, too quick at times to give a diagnosis.
1: Yeah, no, this is this is this is not that at all. These kids are very very difficult to manage and both at home and in the classroom.
0: How quickly, assuming that the diagnosis is is correct, how quickly does it take, if there is a, a rule of thumb time course, to get these kids stabilized? Is, is it a couple of weeks, a couple of months, longer?
1: Yeah, well, that's the other issue that makes it kind of difficult. Boris Burmaher... And Pittsburgh has conducted this Kobe follow-up study, one of the largest studies of, of children with bipolar diagnoses, and he finds that for the folks who have bipolar 1, the major manic presentations, that it takes somewhere between nine months and a year to get them stabilized. And disappointingly, the kids that are more controversial, the kids who have bipolar, not otherwise specified, because they don't have clear-cut manic episodes, but they're just up and down a lot over the course of the day, it takes them longer. It takes them like two and a half years to get stabilized. So you're talking about treatment being pretty difficult and complicated, and often requiring several drugs in combination. So it's it's not an easy thing to do to intervene with these kids. The families need a lot of support. There should be active family education, psychotherapy, as well as pharmacotherapy in the kids who are most disturbed.
0: And, of course, though I don't really want to get into the politics of health care reform, a lot of these kids don't have access to that type of care.
1: And even the ones who have health insurance, the insurance is usually geared toward trying to minimize interventions instead of, you know, getting after the illness really well and carefully in the beginning and trying to head off further difficulties later on. A bit counterproductive.
0: One one of the questions that uh, patients often ask me is, how young can this go? Can a six-year-old be bipolar? Do they have to be 10 years old? Is there a, a consensus of a, of a cutoff?
1: It can go very early, and as a matter of fact, there's a thing called the cohort effect, and that is that every birth cohort of generation since World War I, there's been an earlier age of onset and an increased incidence of both unipolar depression and bipolar illness in the uh, US and in many other countries so it's getting earlier and earlier and earlier. Uh, when I first came to the NIMH in 1970, I rarely heard about or saw children with bipolar illness and now there's a marked increase incidence and I think some of that is real and not just an increase in recognition. So it can happen very early. We actually did a study with, with Bob Finling at Case Western Reserve, he had patients who had clear-cut diagnoses of bipolar illness or attention deficit hyperactivity or no diagnosis at all. And we asked the parents of those three groups of kids to rate all the symptoms that they had every year of their life backwards so that we could see what the earliest precursors of what symptoms there were in the kids who were going to become bipolar. And it turned out that even as early as age 3, 4, and 5, increased periods of grief, euphoria, and mood elevation, or extended periods were the earliest symptoms along with decreased need for sleep. These kids had euphoria and sleep problems that kids with ADHD did not have, And normals did not have back as early as uh, age three, four, five. So this was in a group of kids who had clear-cut prepubertal onset of their bipolar illness. There are other children who, you know, have a completely normal trajectory and don't get a manic episode until their adolescence. But there is this subgroup of children with very early onsets. And it seems to be more prominent, actually, in the United States than in some European countries.
0: Any idea why?
1: Yeah, we, we've taken a look at some of the issues, and it turns out that there's more positive family history of affective disorder in the U.S. in the parents of the kids, uh, the adults in the U.S. than in Germany and the Netherlands, which is kind of difficult to figure out why there's more genetic vulnerability Did the people who had kind of more bipolar traits come to the U.S., or are there other factors? But there's not only more parental history of uh, affective disorder, there's more kids in the U.S. who have two parents with an affective disorder, either unipolar or bipolar, than in uh, Germany. There's also more psychosocial adversity in the U.S. in terms of physical or sexual abuses is about twice as high in the U.S. compared to Germany and the Netherlands. So the two Key predictors of early onset, uh, that is a family history or adversity, you know, mark stressors early in life. Both of those are more prominent in, in the U.S., but we really don't know exactly what all the reasons are. But that's two of the possible vulnerability factors seem to also be increased in the U.S.
0: So that's a very interesting observation. It really, it makes one stop and think about having to do a, a cultural background perhaps when you do an initial evaluation of a child.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it also, I mean, it also speaks to some of the controversies where people in some of the other European countries or in Australia say, no, we've never seen a kid with bipolar illness. Some of that may actually be a real differential incidence, but I think the data in the U.S. is very clear cut that, that the, there's a major incidence and it's a major problem
0: it seems to be more accepted in our country right now for a kid to have attention deficit disorder than necessarily be called bipolar and what jumps to me is that if it is look a lot of behaviors can look like a ADD activity but if the diagnosis is not correct then the treatment can be very inappropriate and potentially dangerous
1: yeah exactly it's kind of a double a double whammy there because it turns out that a very high proportion of the youngest kids with bipolar illness actually have comorbid ADHD. So it's not like they don't have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's that they have that and their bipolar illness too. And the problem is, is that there's 18 or 20 different FDA approved preparations, psychomotor stimulants and other drugs to treat ADHD. And for kids under 10, zero for bipolar. So people are going to be much more willing to use stimulants and antidepressants and other things for ADHD than they are the bipolar drugs. But everybody at the same time agrees that if the kid's really bipolar, they need mood stabilizers or atypical antipsychotics to get stabilized and not the stimulants. So you're right on. That's, it's a major, it's a major problem where You need to check out whether the kid with ADHD symptoms also has these other things that are inconsistent with it, like hallucinations or delusions or suicidality, things like that, that really tell you that this is not just ADHD, but something much more problematic.
0: Can can you say that in a child that the mood shifts that would become diagnostic of, of a bipolar disorder, that they have to be more episodic, whereas an ADH kid is more continuous, or am I being too simplistic?
1: No, that's, that's actually one of the key issues and controversies. And for some reason or another, some child docs said that you can't be manic unless the mania lasts for four days or a week like in the adults. But it turns out that many of these youngest kids go from ecstatic mood elevation, grandiose thinking that they can fly and stuff like that, to down to depression and tearful withdrawal multiple times within a day. So we call that ultradian cycling. And people have said that, well, if it's not a consistent episode with a well interval, it's not bipolar illness. But that, that, that's actually something that's, it's almost made up because we've seen adults who have that same ultradian cycling without a well interval too. So there's nothing, there's nothing that says it has to be episodic, even though that that's one of the key arguments that people make. So some of these kids who cycle up and down very, very rapidly with the bipolar NOS diagnosis can be just as impaired as somebody who has a more continuous manic or depressive episode. And what Boris Bermahurst saw was that many of these kids with the rapid fluctuations in mood, if you followed them in the clinic for two or three years, actually 30 to 40% of them turned into bipolar 1 and their episodes got longer. So the early rapid variations may just be a precursor to the more full-blown extended manias and depressions. Simultaneously, we need to figure out for the kids who have the bipolar presentations and even the kids who have these variants that with just irritable aggression, without the mood elevation, a lot of people think that those kids are not going to turn out to be bipolar. What we need to figure out is what they respond to too because they're quite ill.
0: One of the things that also is confusing to a lot of the patients I speak to is that they find or they've heard, rather, that DSM-5 is coming out. And they say, why do we need a new diagnostic manual? And then they hear that the definitions for some of the things in kids are going to change. I hope this is, it helps us explain things and define things. I'm not asking you to to offer an editorial on this, but it's an interesting process because it shows that psychiatry is certainly not... um, we're not finished.
1: No, we're not finished, and my fear is that the DSM-5 is not going to be terribly helpful in terms of these issues with kids, and somehow I think we need to get over the diagnostic issues with careful descriptors and follow-on of, of uh, what they actually respond to, and whether that's going to improve with DSM-5 or not, I- I'm not so
0: Well, fair enough. Dr. Post is a psychiatrist who, who as I said at the beginning of the interview, has made many, many significant contributions to psychiatry. And Dr. Post, we thank you so much for joining us. As we go through and learn more about bipolar disorder in kids, I'm going to give you another call and we'll do a catch up.
1: Oh, I'd be pleased to um, appreciate it.